Hey guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode three of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks for joining in guys uh welcome we have a very special guest on this afternoon uh, a fellow by the name of michael thorne michael is the former ceo of the foundation of alcohol research and, Ed- and education uh based in canberra at least recently uh finished up in that role but also has got uh some good insight into uh, into uh, politics and uh, worked in the Prime Minister's Department for quite a period uh, under two Prime Ministers. So it would be good to uh, have a discussion around that with Michael and uh, and talk about you know his journey with uh, with FAIR over the 12 years, what he observed with alcohol and uh, the changes that are going on uh, in Australia here um, as we speak and also hopefully more, more so into the future. So uh, Michael, are you there with me? I'm here with you, Aaron, and thank you, thank you for inviting me onto your uh, podcast. No worries. You're the third guest, and you got pipped by a couple of other uh, pretty uh, impressive uh, uh, male figures out there. So uh, I hope you're not uh, too upset by that, but it's not about ego, and it's not about uh, who's better than who or who's done what. It's all about blokes here talking about uh, their journey and uh, and how we can be uh, more aware, better men, I suppose, moving forward and just trying to get some content out to rural Australia and help more guys out there. So I really am grateful to have someone like yourself, uh, you know, offer your time up to have a chat with us today. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, no worries. And and look, I suppose, you know, you're, uh, you're in your early 60s now and you've had a lot of uh, exposure to alcohol and, and, and so forth. Um, you know, leading up to the role that you were in, but also while you were in that role with FAIR, um, you know, with uh, with cultural change and all those sorts of things that go along with it. So could you give um, the listeners uh, a bit of a, uh, a snapshot of your, your background and sort of where you come from, I suppose? Yeah. Look, I'm uh, uh, probably typical of uh, professionals of my age, got a bit of an eclectic uh, background. I, I grew up in the wheat belt of Western Australia, went to u- university, kind of first one in my family, um, worked in the trade union movement for quite a while, worked in politics, um, ran my own business for a little while, and then you know, in the last uh, 15 years, spent uh, quite a bit of time in Canberra, initially working for the Prime Minister's Department and then running the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education. Mm. But through all of all of that, uh, well, my professional career, um, I've always had a, a, a strong leaning towards social justice issues. And uh, one of the things that comes through um, uh, as a Affecting, you know, people's place in in society has been the kind of barriers, and and one of them, one of those big barriers, of course, is the use of alcohol and drugs. And mm. Australia is a um, quite a heavy drinking country. You know, men men drink a lot of booze, a lot more than, than women. In fact, about three times as much per capita. Mm. Um, and while in recent years uh, consumption of alcohol has certainly declined from when you know average per capita con- consumption 
hit its peak in the mid-1970s, driven driven by working-class men's drinking, Mm. um, there are still very significant uh, impacts on on, uh, individuals, on families and on the community more generally from Mm. the consumption of alcohol. Uh, More than 6,000, well, around about 6,000 people die as a consequence of their alcohol usage here in in this country. Um, And uh, a lot of people are hospitalised and of course, we know it has uh, third-party impacts in things like uh, family da- uh, violence. Uh, it contributes to, to poverty and inequity uh, more generally. Mm. So it's a big issue in our country, and um, and and it's very difficult to, and it's a slow process to kind of get people to realise um, uh, that they need to think about their their alcohol consumption because there are many, many environmental factors that uh, make Australia a kind of a drinking culture, an alcohol-consuming culture. Mm. And uh, there's, there's uh, lots of vested interests uh, who are keen um, for people to drink and are resistant to making changes that will reduce that uh, consumption and, and uh, improve make things safer and improve people's lives. Mm. So, you know, given that kind of uh, social justice background of mine, um, you know, I've always been a kind of a keen, had a keen interest in the, the public policy side of things and what you can do to actually moderate people's drinking mm. and get people to be supportive of that rather than kind of um, resisting the sorts of uh, policies, you know, resisting the entreaties from people to change the way they drink. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. Beautiful analogy. Um, let's let's take a step back a few hundred years, and uh, when alcohol was formed, and and uh, basically, you know how it may have been manipulated to be used as a tool to keep people sort of, I suppose, unconscious. Um, uh, you know, I know certainly if if a human wants to live, uh, uh, you know, a full, fulfilled, vibrant life, living um, without alcohol is optimum, but also reducing the uh, the intake is um, is something that uh, that can certainly improve your mental well-being. Um, you know, my, my journey with it was I was exposed to that 70s working-class environment. Um, you know, that was around me very heavily when I was a young guy. And, uh, you know, I sort of I come into that because uh, lack of opportunities, I suppose, as a young fellow. But, um, you know, I sort of I got into that scene. And um, you know, through the 80s and 90s, it was, it was still there. Things have changed now, and it's interesting that you you say about uh, men, you know, three to one. I experience women, I see women drinking hard, you know, consistently. And, uh, you know, I ran into a woman the other day, a beautiful girl, and she said she's knocking off a, like a bottle of wine a night, you know, red wine a night. And, um, you know, I, for me personally, I'm seeing more women uh, now uh, certainly, uh, you know, relying on alcohol to manage stress and anxiety. Mm. Well, alcohol is a funny place in, in our society. Uh, um, anthropologists uh, will uh, tell you that human, well, they can trace uh, the consumption of alcohol back 20,000 years. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's new in our societies. Mm. But in kind of the last 200 years, I think that uh, two to 300 years, the kind of industrial processes that have allowed the, the mass production of alcohol has changed uh, our relationship um, mm. with alcohol. 
we we are inherently, I think, pleasure seeking um, as a species, and that um, mm. and that's a kind of a function of. Well, that that explains why people use uh, drugs of one kind or another. Yeah. Um, without knowing um, that many of these uh, drugs are toxic substances, and alcohol is a toxic substance. It's mm. class one carcinogen. Mm. Um, and if you if you drink a lot of booze, um, it will contribute to things like cancers. Yeah, um, yeah. And and people kind of are not really across across that. But patterns of uh, drinking have changed over the years. Uh, in Australia, for instance, uh, we we were consuming about a, a quarter of the uh, alcohol per head back in the early 1930s, and what we do today. Mm. Um, uh, but today we're drinking less than, than what we were in the 1990s. Mm. Uh, men have dramatically reduced their alcohol, even though, as I said earlier, they still drink a lot more than, than women. But societal changes have uh, given permission to women to drink more and they, they have most definitely mm. upped uh, their, their consumption levels where some of the... Um, some young cohorts of young women are consuming almost as much as uh, cohorts of young men. Mm, yeah. But again, here, here, here is the sort of uh, interesting uh, feature of that. Uh, overall, young people's drinking is has reduced very dramatically over the last uh, 10 to 15 years and mm. it's continuing to decline and it's not really clear why that's the case. Mm, uh, we have, uh, you know, alcohol's uh, more available than it's ever been before. It's very affordable and, of course, there are lots of uh, messages that are directed towards young people by the alcohol brands um, through their advertising and marketing schemes, mm. encouraging uh, people to purchase and drink, you know, drink booze. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that um, you know my experience um, with it through my life is a bit like yours. Yes, the 1970s when I was at university, were uh, uh, there were kind of uh, frequent instances of very heavy drinking sessions. When I began work, you know, the trade union uh, world um, is a very, very heavy drinking uh, environment. Um, and we had world champion drinkers uh, from, from the trade union, led by Bob Hawks, of course. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, many people know what, you know, his, his history and his association uh, with alcohol mm. and ha how he... Uh, uh, used it to cope and how he had to get off it to become prime minister and mm. and all those sorts of uh, related stories and and they are i think instructive for everyone about uh, how you can conduct and carry yourself mm. Interesting. Um, so you know men and uh, men and women's association with alcohol and drugs i think will will continue into the future it's uh, i think a question of getting people to recognize uh, what's what's good for them and certainly the heavy consumption of alcohol is dangerous it's dangerous to young people because they they um, they can be reckless and their judgments affected they get killed in car accidents mm. get involved in fights for instance mm. and as people get older of course it's uh, contributing to diseases and including cancer for instance yeah 100 percent i think you know we've seen a bit of an evolution with organic uh you know probably better better quality produce uh, going into beer primarily with craft breweries and that which have really opened up a lot but um, yeah once people sort of understand you know what's 
what it's doing to you, how to get it out of the body, but also to um, uh, understand the consequences that unless you, you, you've got a, a good diet around it to balance it out and yeah, you are sort of you know, doing exercise and doing things to keep yourself fit. But primarily, Michael, you know, my observation with it has been the mental clarity that comes when you limit your alcohol consumption or you give it away altogether or you take a good break from it your whole your whole um you know anatomy basically changes and uh your body can really really uh recover as alcohol is very hard on the liver and kidney and so forth primarily and you know i i i certainly you know i went i went off it for quite a while and and now occasionally I'll, i'll have a beer but that that is that's when i feel like really cooked and my nervous system is is quite um quite buggered i'll have a beer just to recalibrate and ground myself but primarily i know that's not the best option i know there's other ways that you can you know come back to uh, a sense of calm again by by you know doing some yoga or some some postures or meditation or whatever just to get the nervous system settled down i don't think that we uh we understand how to manage our nervous systems primarily and this is where alcohol has become such a big part of people's lives because you know the old grand old, old duke of york when we're up we're up but when we go down we go down and uh you know i think with regards to alcohol people are up so much these days the only way they know how to come down is just through a drink or a drug or something you know yeah. uh there's other ways to do that uh, there's certainly other ways to do that and um you know uh being able to to give yourself a break if you've been drinking for quite a while i think it's just such a gift to yourself because it gets you back to that sense of you know who you really are again without sort of having clouded perceptions and judgments and all those sorts of things would you agree look i i do agree and i think there are lots and lots of pressures in our community that drive people uh to you know to, to consume alcohol it's socially acceptable there are kind of marketing pointers always directing people to con- to drink um, and other factors when people just wanting to be included in the group um, mm. uh, does lead them to to begin to drink. And we know we know from lots of the data that uh, people who uh, can have kind of issues with alcohol find it very difficult to stop once they they commence a session. Mm. So, and we need to remember, um, as I said earlier, that it's a, it is a toxic substance, and it doesn't matter whether it's made with with uh, uh, pesticide-free barley or anything else. Mm. The fact is that alcohol is alcohol is alcohol. Yes. And um, that's the toxic um, uh, substance. It's, it, it's the uh, uh, compound that uh, turns into ethylene that uh, then um, causes all these health issues. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't know that I've ever uh, read um, a story of... Of people who have given up booze uh, for good, uh, say that they felt worse. Mm. Um, just about every one of them, all, all the people that I know of, and, and um, these are you know, people who have, have um, who are celebrities or have a profile in, a, in the Australian community, say how much better they feel and and how much more energy they have, mm. and how much better it is for their families and their hip pocket, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah, in giving up the booze. Now, yeah. I, you know, I'm not an advocate of people not drinking at all, but we, sh- but we should be aware of what the alternative uh, uh, is and how our lives can be different, especially if we're heavy users of alcohol. Yeah. And I think that those people's experiences um, are, 
are a useful guide uh, for anyone who's thinking about um, uh, about their drinking, and we should and we should think about our drinking. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. And I suppose you know we're so stimulated these days. Uh, you know, there's all these options, all these alternatives, uh, and so forth. Uh, you know, yeah, as I, as I sort of mentioned before, like if you are a regular drinker, if you can just give yourself a break of six weeks, you know, that, that 40-day period can can really help you get the clarity back that you had, you know, when you're a young guy or a young girl uh, before you sort of got into the alcohol. And uh, you actually, like, you, you take for granted just the, the beauty beauty of life and what's actually going on out there. But I think the third eye gets blocked by alcohol primarily, so you're not, you're not actually as, uh, um, you know, you're not as intuitive as you usually are without it, and that's where people, you know, they start to feel better because their their liver and kidneys aren't working as hard, and um, you know they're they're wanting to do more appropriate things for their body, and they become more compassionate to themselves and kind to themselves, and you know start to uh, to live life uh, as a functional human being and. Now, alcohol can certainly mask that and you know one thing that, that i wouldn't say it frustrates me but you you know as well as i do that you know we're, we're robbing peter to pay paul by you know consistently flogging alcohol to uh to be um you know sold and marketed heavily like it is so people if they're feeling a little bit unconscious or uncomfortable they'll, they'll gravitate towards it because it's in their face all the time you know, if it was heroin or if it was like a drug or something that was just constantly being marketed, then people would be getting uptake of that. So taking it away from the, 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 the source of uh, you know, being in people's face, I think, would have a dramatic effect. And unfortunately, you know, that's not going to change in a hurry. But all we can do is just help people be more aware uh, that, um, you know, that there's, there's a marketing agenda behind what's being sold to them. You know, have a look at the core product of what it actually is and is that going to be a good choice for me or is it not, you know? Um, I think that's the, the real message we need to, to start to, to, to give to people. Like, you have a choice. Yes, this looks beautiful, uh, but do you want to buy it? Is it going to help you with your own well-being, you know, long term? So, um, so yeah, so getting it out of sport is something that I was quite passionate about, as you know, and uh, we did what we could there to be able to, to help that change. It rattled some cages, but at the same time, the government uh, are quite um, you know, set in their ways with, uh, with keeping it uh, where it is because of the revenue that comes behind it. So, um, you know, having young children, it's, it's certainly, I believe, helping them uh, to be a bit more aware that if they are watching sport, not to get uh, too uh, entertained by the advertising and, uh, and what that brings. You know, concentrate on the core of why you're being there rather than the... Uh, the, uh, the impact that alcohol advertising and, and, and gambling and, and, you know, unhealthy eating has. And, you know, you, you step it back to when we were young with Benson and Hedges and cigarettes and that into footy and cricket and NRL. And, you know, we all we all participated in that, those sorts of behaviours because we thought it was obviously aligned with uh, with uh, the, the, the sport. And, uh, you know, that hasn't changed much, unfortunately. Sport has been really plagiarised to... Uh, to market products, um, yeah, it's just the way it is. Um, so it's being able to make that, people aware of that. That's very true. Yeah, very true. And, and look, you know, individuals need to be able to make their um, their decision, make the choice about whether they're going to consume these products or not. Um, but they are addictive in one way or another. Certainly. Um, uh, alcohol is. We know that uh, people get addicted to gambling. We know that people are addicted to tobacco. Mm. Um, but 
But we, in the end, I think we have to remember that, that environments are very determinative. And I saw a piece of research that's just been published in the UK which has looked at uh, the issue of obesity and all the programs that the British government has put in place over the last 30 years, most of them directed at the individual. Mm. And, you know, effective, essentially the research concluded that those policies are a failure and that, and that the effort should have been directed towards changing the environment. Mm. And one of the biggest environmental factors is the association of booze and and gambling and junk food with our elite sport. Mm. And certainly the work that uh, you did when you were in Tasmania was really important in raising people's, um, uh, you know, f- focusing attention on the issue. And we know that we know that most parents um, are appalled and want something done about getting these addictive products out of the, out of elite sport. Mm. But the power of these uh, industries in Canberra is extraordinary, mm. and um, and governments uh, and politicians more gen- generally are terrified of the influence of these uh, big businesses, mm. and and as a consequence, are very very uh, reluctant to take action that will see a reduction uh, in the sales of either booze or. Uh, or junk food, which will affect those corporations' bottom lines. And I don't know that governments are fussed about the tax revenues these days as they might have been in the past. Mm. It's a factor for sure. But it, it is the, the sheer terror, I think, that the politicians have for what some of these um, these corporations will do to them at the ballot box. Yeah. You know, that yeah. makes them very reluctant uh, to do the right thing. Yes. to do what the evidence says. Um, and, of course, uh, health evidence has uh, really come to the fore as a consequence of the pandemic. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's my hope that one of the legacies of the of, of COVID-19 is that health uh, or politicians on the health side will listen uh, to the evidence and act on the evidence when it comes to the policy formation mm-hmm. and, that, and make it... Um, and, and act uh, in the interests of the, of the community because the evidence says that um, uh, the more you market, uh, the more available you make these products, uh, the more affordable you make them, the more people will consume. And as you've rightly said, the more people, the more that people consume, the more problems we have, yeah. both at a kind of individual level, at a family level and at a community level. Yeah. Would you say with your time in politics, like, there's there's a there's a real agenda there to keep people unhealthy because it really is supportive of the economy and all the spin-off that comes with that. If everyone was fit and well and healthy and they were growing their own food, then we wouldn't have the uptake at the supermarkets, we wouldn't have the, the bottle shops, we wouldn't have all those sorts of things. So so really underneath all this is there an agenda to try and to, to keep people in that sort of unhealthy, unconscious state so they can, you know, purchase pharmaceuticals and get on that sort of system. Do you, do you think that's really behind it all or what? Is that is that like the... Look, I, Aaron, I think that there is, um, there's plenty of evidence and people are increasingly coming to the view that this is really a corporate conspiracy against the, the general public. Mm. Um, that the the uh, that the bigger agenda is to enrich uh, the wealthy and um, and keep working people uh, with their nose to the grindstone. And these things like booze 
and uh, tobacco and junk food, etc., um, are the kind of um, trinkets, as it were, mm. um, that will keep us um, uh, happy enough uh, not to rebel against governments who won't uh, take the action that perhaps professionals um, believe they should be taking. Yeah. And it is a, it is a kind of a, uh, an interesting political question that you pose. But I think that um, what we've seen in the United States over the last, uh, uh, in, in recent time, uh, shows you, you know, what, what, how powerful these kind of big businesses are and how self-serving they are. Mm. And the, the, uh, the way that they can influence uh, uh, people to believe that, that these businesses are, are uh, benign, Acting in the interests of the community is quite extraordinary. Mm. Um, and these people are silly enough to become the foot soldiers for these corporations. Yeah. And yet the people who pay the price ultimately in terms of their uh, standing in the community, their health, um, their family's uh, condition, I think should suggest that um, they're not acting in their, their interests in any way at all. Yeah, 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 that's right. You know, it's it's so... We, we have such a, you know... I'd say people that are really aware of this would be, geez, a small percent of the, um, the, 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 the general public, you know. The average person is, is getting up, uh, having a coffee, listening to the radio, reading the paper, uh, watching the TV, and all of a sudden they're in this fear mindset. You know, the fear mindset will take people into consumerism. So, you know, I've watched the news for a long time and, and most people that I know still watch the news. So, so that, that's putting people into, um, in, into that controlled um, realm, I guess, primarily. But, uh, but I think uh, once people sort of become a bit more conscious and, and, and as you say, like you'd be a bit more aware of these big industries that are actually like really plagiarizing things, be able to sort of say no and move away from that then we're actually taking our power back uh, quite a bit we're we're outsourcing it primarily um but if you can disengage with that and you've got the choice to do that then all of a sudden the consumerism um you know uh, isn't as strong and eventually you know more and more people will start to move away and hopefully common sense in some way will help them uh, to become a bit more aware uh and, and make better decisions i guess yeah look Life is never easy, um, and people generally just want to get on with it and don't have the time to be to be bothered about some of these bigger, more prosaic uh, questions about how you know how how they find themselves in the situation. Mm. They're flat out uh, keeping uh, food on the plate, a roof over their head, getting their kids off to school each day, mm. um, and they don't really seems to me, have the sort of time uh, to question uh, why they find themselves in the situation that yeah. they, you know, may well find themselves in. Yes. And, and that's, that's kind of why, um, why governments and why our political representatives have a greater responsibility um, uh, than many of them seem to display. Mm -hmm. They actually actually have a responsibility to look after people mm. um, and I, I, I think 
I think what we find is that they that they're not often just not up to it, uh, and um, when they you know, add to that the sort of pressures they come under from these uh, big businesses and other vested interests, um, they are found wanting, and uh, people's kind of uh, safety uh, and health are not a big consideration. Yes. Although, once again, um, I think the whole kind of pandemic has uh, uh, has put some very significant question marks over the way uh, things have been done up, up to this point. Mm. And um, it's been a bit of a wake-up call for many governments. Um, but in Australia, we've done uh, an excellent job. It's been a terribly good job in in putting the public's health uh, first and not that of... Uh, of Business interests. Mm. I'm sure, there are many, many, many in the community who would prefer it to be in the opposite. But uh, as it happens, I think that uh, uh, the majority of us have demanded that the public's health come first, yeah. and um, and that's been a very, a very good thing, a very salutary lesson, I think, for some of our political leaders. Yeah, agree, Michael, and. Uh you know, we have we have such uh, in in our years that we've been on this earth, seen such change with health. So when I was a young guy, hospitals were there to, to fix wounds, but now they're fixing all these issues because of all the the stuff that go along with uh, with poor health primarily. And I think this has been a really well. Last year was a foundational year because people will start to realise. Well, geez, maybe maybe that illness was caused from something rather than just reacting from it and actually like going back and sort of going a bit deeper within themselves to actually heal themselves, you know. So so I'm seeing more evidence of people wanting to be, uh, or th- that are more curious on, on illness and, you know, why that illness is actually forming um, and being able to, you know, get rid of it themselves but also prevent it from happening again, which is a beautiful thing, you know. So out of such a negative, there's been some really, really good positives. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, well, it will be, so, will be interesting to see how how it affects uh, kind of longer term public policy. Um, the whole experience of the pandemic will come out the other side eventually. Mm. I'm not expecting that to be tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully there'll be a bit of a reset around some of these some of these issues. And we, when it comes back to alcohol, for instance, we don't really know what what's going on in the community. We kind of the research to date has shown uh, some groups have uh, consumed uh, more alcohol and yet um, some of the other data showing overall consumption has been reduced. Mm. I'm sure I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure that there have been some groups that have uh, hit, the, hit the turps, as they say, mm. and others for all sorts of reasons, uh, some economic, some uh, for social, some for health reasons, have, um, have cut back their drinking substantially. Do you think it was interesting that uh, when the pandemic was in full swing that most businesses and everything were shut but bottle shops are still allowed to be open? Well, I think that just goes to show the kind of political power of, uh, of booze. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'm not even sure that the booze industry has to ask. I think that there are you know, many politicians who are so kind of um, embedded in that uh, booze culture that... Um, uh, operates here in Australia that exists here in Australia, that they just think that they they need to make uh, booze available to people. Mm. Um, that comes back to your kind of your point about um, governments uh, wanting 
sorted to keep people intoxicated. It's 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 uh, an opiate of the people, as um, mm. uh, um, as Marx described. Um, um, uh, some of these things uh, many many decades ago. So yeah. it's kind of curious. It is curious, and and it was and it was disappointing because during the whole kind of um, twenty twenty. There were a massive um, kind of uh, leg ups given to the booze industry. Mm. Um, you know, trading hours were extended. I know where you know I was living in Canberra. Just about anyone, you know, all, all the restaurants were allowed to sell takeaway booze, for instance. Uh, I know that's just kind of crazy stuff from my perspective. And I'm, it was all done on the premise of of of, uh, of supporting those small businesses. But in the end, it's price to pay when you when you make those sorts of decisions because it's going to be very hard to take those uh, uh, benefits away from from those businesses when the pandemic passes. Yeah, and it would have been a great opportunity to reset, you know, um, reset many people's lives if you've been able to take that away. But uh, look, they they probably thought, well, geez, if uh, if if Bob isn't able to go get his carton every week, then he's going to become violent and punch his wife up and all those sorts of things. But I think Bob was still doing that anyway. So, um, you know, my observation was domestic violence uh, increased significantly through that period. Yeah, so it's certainly lots and lots of um, uh, column centimeters in our newspaper devoted to the issue of family violence during the pandemic. And, yeah, yeah, and I think we're still. Still to learn um, what actually happened uh, in, um, you know, behind closed doors, as it were, mm. uh, with, with some of these situations, because you know it's very difficult. Workers weren't able to access um, uh, their clients, family and domestic violence workers, and mm. and uh, we know when they were having uh, counselling sessions, perhaps with um, with women about what was going on. They couldn't really tell whether or not the perpetrator of violence was in the background or not when mm. those sort of Zoom calls were taking place or phone calls. Yeah, interesting. But then a very, very difficult period. Uh, and um, and I think we've got a lot to learn about what actually took place um, during these lockdowns, yeah. uh, not just here in Australia, but around the world uh, mm. on the family violence front. Yeah, for sure. We'll get off of that. I know you're uh, you're pressed for time a little bit this afternoon, but um, uh, with regards to men's health, Michael, have you seen a, a real improvement there? And and you know, with what what guys what guys are doing to look after themselves a little bit more now? And uh, you know, obviously with the uh, with the discussions that we're having at the moment, you're able to you'll be able to get content out there and you know to talk to men more more often about feelings, emotions, all those sorts of things. I think. There's been a real shift over the last you know few years and and the last decade primarily, but I think we've still got a lot of work to do. And um, you know, having the conversation that we're having, uh, you know, is, is great because it's it's reaching masses out there at the same time. Look, I I think you're right. There's definitely been a shift, um, and shifts in different kind of age groups too. You know, my my peers, you know, my general observation is people don't smoke, uh, they drink a lot less, um, they exercise more, um, they, there are more people who are happy to get involved in kind of groups, sessions where there is a discussion about health and uh, wellbeing issues. Um, but we certainly haven't solved all the problems and, and, and we've got a, a kind of a long way to go, I suspect, uh, to get to an optimal, healthy society. 
Um, I'm observed earlier that young people are drinking a hell of a lot less. Uh, they actually describe um, these are late teenagers, early 20s, 20 pe uh, people as the most abstemious uh, generation we've seen in a very long, long while. They drink less, they take, less, they use less drugs, they engage in uh, less sex. Mm. So there's kind of obviously lots of things happening in our in our community. Um, and I know even my father's generation, for instance, and the whole rise of that kind of men-checked uh, movement, and mm. not, all of that has been uh, perfect, but it's been a kind of interesting uh, vehicle to get men to talk about their health. And more importantly, to to act on on uh, on kind of advice from health professionals and social workers, etc., to improve their lives. Mm. So, you know, from a personal perspective, um, uh, I you know exercise regularly. Um, I do watch uh, what I what I eat, um, um, but I you know I'm from a kind of from a well educated. Um, uh, certainly a well-off um, uh, socio-economic uh, uh, group mm. and you would expect that because all the data shows that people, better people are educated, uh, the wealthier they are, the healthier they are. Yeah. So there's some kind of environmental factors that, uh, that drive my behaviours. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, generally speaking, I think that there is a kind of a shift on but um, again, coming back to my point, uh, well, a point I made frequently, environments actually matter. I think, I think that uh, in uh, less well-off communities, um, the, the pressures of life um, make uh, it more difficult for people to devote time to exercise uh, to eating better uh, and uh, to engaging in thinking and doing things about their about their well-being. Mm, yeah. um, they just don't have the luxury, perhaps, um, that uh, some of us do. And and you see that manifest itself in in um, in, in crime, uh, in family violence, uh, generally. there's a, a big role to play um, outside the family unit like workplaces to be able to really embody uh, well-being for their for their staff you know I've, I've said it for years I've you know I've, I've been fortunate to run like large teams of guys and, and have them um, you know work hard get lots of money and, and piss it up against the wall primarily but um, you know, if there's a real culture of well-being and people supporting each other in the workplace, that can have a tremendous effect on, like a flow-on effect on the families, on the kids and, and all that as well, you know. So um, if that's if that's taken on and we're, we're, we're really slow off the mark here with this one, uh, you know, um, some of the roles I've worked in, I've, I've been trying to, to get a well-being culture, you know, up and running uh, as much as possible, but uh, it's still a work in progress, you know. I just think if... If, if organisations can listen to their people, um, you know, give them the tools to be able to, to, to learn how to, you know, physically feel better, how to get better, more energy, how to um, you know, manage their mental health better, all those sorts of things. And it's going to help them be, to be better 
better humans uh, and also that that it's just got a flow on effect to everyone around them so so yeah certainly the workplace but at the core it's the schools you know the schools are really educating kids to support the economy at the end of the day but if we can bring well-being cultures into schools on, on really giving you know 30 percent of their learning to actually learning about themselves and how to read their bodies better and how to read their minds better and to be able to you know be more conscious and Spiritually aware, I believe, is um, you know a term that we we, we find a voodoo with uh, because of religion. But like being really uh, grateful and 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 conscious of of our connection with everything, uh, I think, is is something that the schools need to embrace more and more. And and that when that happens, you have more more you know people coming through the system that are coming out the other end, not as stressed and anxious and depressed and so forth like mm-hmm. we're seeing now. Well, let, let, let's kind of have a look at, the, at both those issues, the workplace and schools. And I don't, I don't uh, profess to know a lot about what's going on in the education system, as I said earlier. Mm. We know that young people are consuming um, alcohol, for instance, at much lower rates. They're engaged in fewer binging incidents than they have been uh, in God only knows how long, ever, probably. Mm. Uh, well, cer- certainly in recent history. Uh, so that gives you kind of hope, I think, uh, for younger generations as they um, move into family environments, for instance, they become parents themselves, that uh, this will be a healthier generation. Mm. Um, but I think you're right, and you're obviously right, we need to keep the focus on, on, the, on the way that the education system, well, you know, way people are, way young people are taught and what they're taught, etc. And just going to go back to... The, the work environment, um, there's obviously been a, a hell of a lot of change. Um, and much of that has been as a consequence of the awareness of the safety responsibilities that employers have. Mm. And and I don't, I don't know that it started off uh, as a... Well, it certainly wasn't an issue when I, when I was a young black working in the union movement. The, the concern about safety was was that people didn't get injured. Mm. Um, mm. There wasn't a kind of a broader understanding that that injury might relate to lots of kind of social and environmental factors, uh, including uh, finishing work and going straight to the pub for an hour or two. Mm. Um, that that, that uh, whole occupational health and safety um, uh, industry <clears throat> has changed workplaces dramatically. Mm. Um, both, you know, as, as Queenslanders and Western Australians, we know this from from um, what takes place uh, in, in in the mining and resources sector. Yeah. Um, there is no drink, you know, dr- uh, consum- drugs and alcohol are banned uh, while people are at work, um, and uh, and that kind of applies to. To in many instances, right through the head office. Mm. So that that has to have changed people's attitude uh, yeah. and the and the way that they see things. Mm. Um, and I don't know. There was a, well, there was a parliamentary inquiry back in 1977, um, and one of the areas they looked at uh, into into alcohol and drugs. So one of the areas that they looked at was was the workplace, and a whole series of recommendations was made were made about uh, trying to get workers to cut back the consumption of alcohol and drugs. Mm. Now, none of those recommendations were, were put in place. 
but we've seen dramatic changes as a consequence of uh, occupational health and safety laws. Mm. Uh, it was kind of unintended, but a very uh, and an extraordinarily positive result uh, for for our community. Mm. Now there are you know many FICO workers that we know who uh, don't drink while they're on on site, come back to uh, to Brisbane or back to Perth, and then. Um, kind of all hell breaks loose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and they kind of consume, go on binges. Yeah. Um, but overall, overall, I think there's probably those sorts of uh, policies that companies have put in place have forced change um, and people do behave differently as a consequence. Um, yeah. And it just goes to show how important those sort of structural um, uh, settings can be for the way that people's, you know, for the health of people in our community. Certainly big industry has done a, done a, a great job there, but also they've had to, obviously, with, as you say, with the uh, uh, OH&S, uh, you know, ramifications that come with that. And they, they are actually really proactive in the prehabilitation space as well. So they're doing things to keep their people well, but that's not really filtering back to, to government. It's not really filtering back to not-for-profit, it's not really filtering back to a small to medium enterprise, you know. Um, so guys will go away, yeah, they'll earn the big money, all that sort of stuff. Um, they'll come home and, you know, blow it or on toys or whatever. But but um, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, unfortunately. Um, you know, they are getting the education out there, but they're, they're really, they're that cooked when they get home. They just want to, like, you know, just get back to balance again. And unfortunately, that's coming through uh, a masking agent rather than actually doing something that's, that's looking yeah. after themselves. Yeah. But cultural yeah. change takes time. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you need to be doing lots of things to to signal to people mm. uh, that they they can and should change their behaviours. Yes. Yeah. There will be some of these um, uh, people who, yes, they, they come back and binge on drugs and alcohol or yes they spend their money gambling or they buy another toy yes mm. uh, but but I, I you know I just have this think that um, that overall the lives of um, uh, these people are manifestly better than what they might have been say 30 years ago yeah I agree absolutely that's right no for sure and you know we have come a long way. We've still got like a, quite a bit of work to do, but you know, certainly having these conversations might hit someone out there that may help them uh, empower themselves to, you know, just make a, a little bit more, uh, you know, in their lives. I've, I've seen some tremendous, uh, you know, things over the last five to ten years, you know, with with my own self, but to be able to help other people and, and give them. Uh, some insight and, and some uh, ability to be able to make some subtle changes in their lives. So the more people that are actually doing you know, some good things, that's going to have impact on, on other people around them too, I, I guess, you know. So that's that's what we can, what we can, I suppose, get out of the conversation that we've had tonight is giving people a bit more of an understanding about, uh, you know, the, the background of, of alcohol and where it's sort of, uh, you know, where it's at at the moment and just to be more a bit more uh, conscious about it, I suppose, and, you know, making sort of better decisions, uh, that may uh, improve their longevity and also their, their well-being, I suppose, uh, in the short term, yeah. Aaron, it's been lovely talking to you. I meant to um, say that. Yeah. I meant to do the cut-off, not you. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, I just yeah. wanted to say that, I, yeah. you know, those, that those are important things that uh, you've touched on tonight and yeah. uh, we can do things with individuals, but I think 
kind of my interest has always been um, the, the, the environmental settings, the structures uh, that uh, uh, shape our lives, um, and governments have a very you know big responsibility um, when it comes to things like um, like the way uh, we access alcohol mm. um, and too often they let, let our communities down and uh, too often it takes um, serious incidents, um, adverse incidents before they act. Mm. Uh, it's rare uh, that our political leaders um, look at what the evidence says and then act um, uh, in the interest of the community at large. Yeah, agree. Just, um, just, just on that. Hopefully, 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 if we kind of people like you keep batting away um, mm. on these issues, that we we can see, um, you know, more of our political leader, leaders being sensitive to the need to change. Yeah, agree. Just, just quickly on that. Uh, it's interesting when you see like a a healthcare facility getting built somewhere or going up and then there's a bottle shop, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the vicinity as well, sort of thing, uh, getting past. So, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot, of, a lot of people sort of shake their heads at that sort of stuff, but it's still going on, so. It does. It does yeah. indeed. Well, I'll let you go, Michael. Thank you very, very much for your time. Really grateful for you uh, spending the last uh, almost hour chatting with me. I know you've got to rush off, but... Uh, yeah, anyone that wants to get in contact with you uh, about speaking or anything like that about uh, alcohol awareness, are you still up to, able to do that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. If they yeah. can contact uh, me through you at any stage, yep. um, I'm oh, sure happy to put them in touch with me. Yeah, I certainly but, um, can. Aaron, thank you for uh, having me talk to you, arranging for me to talk to you and sharing um those issues that are of mutual interest to both of us. Thank yeah, you very much. appreciate it. All the best, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See ya. Call ended. There you go, guys. Uh, Michael Thorne, very, uh, very interesting man. Um, seen lots over his journey uh, within uh, the political realm and also what he was doing with FAIR. Uh, you know, it's a, a real issue, uh, alcohol. Uh, you know, we, we, we do enjoy it, but it can uh, certainly take uh, take our lives away unless we're, we're aware. So, um, uh, you know, really good to get Michael's insight into things there and, and what goes on behind the scenes, but also uh, to be able to, you know, help each other out if we do experience a bit of a problem with it or we're sort of getting a bit loose with uh, with the way we um, we use it, I suppose, at the end of the day, use it wisely rather than, uh, you know, not and uh, control it rather than uh, it control us. And that's what can uh, that's what can happen, I suppose. So appreciate you being here listening with me, guys. If you've made it all the way through, thank you very, very much. And uh, yeah, any feedback, uh, I'd be uh, be grateful. Looking forward to getting this out more and more to, to interesting guys uh, and women also around Australia to come on and have a chat about... Uh, men's well-being and try and empower more guys out there to uh to maybe uh maybe change their lives a little bit if they want to or change the lives of others around them so thank you very much for being here talk to you soon cheers